welcome back to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. Mailbag. It, mailbag. <laughs> I listened back to an episode to see what I did the first time. I liked it better than what I did the second time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you just interrupt me and that's the fun part? I think it's hilarious. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so folks, this is another mailbag episode, and we should apologize to listener Victoria because she, in fact, did get a book club response to A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow in. It's just that it came in right as we had finished recording the episode. So, hence a mailbag question. Yay! And it was a great question from Victoria because uh, one of the things we didn't talk about at all in that episode was mm -hmm. that... A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow was a Reese Witherspoon book pick, cl book club pick. That's what I'm trying to say, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, and Victoria wrote in and said, I wanted to ask how you felt about the Reese Witherspoon plug for this book. I've read some of her book club picks in the past, and I have mixed feelings about it. Her picks tend to focus on topics she's attracted to, like family values, cis female representation, and cozy fun reads like this one. Mm -hmm. But others miss the mark, especially with representation. With this story dealing with displacement in a new location, interracial relationships, navigating new cultural climates, and preserving heritage, do you think this novel benefits from Reese's book club stamp? Or do you think the reputation as an RBC pick would turn some people off? Let me know what you think. So I mm. loved this question. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, here's the thing about Reese Witherspoon, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Hot take. Here we go. <laughs> she has really had this like Reese reconnaissance whatever the word is i'm looking for here renaissance there's been a reese renaissance <laughs> but it's particularly been around bookishness right uh, like okay. mm -hmm. reese witherspoon has really sort of absorbed the like you know you can be pretty and like books <laughs> concept of like an l woods right? right and she's really run with that in the latter half of her career and and i'm thinking of this as kind of emerging around the time she started producing films like the gone girl adaptation for example mm -hmm. you know her whole social media image is like look at all these still shots from movies that where women are reading books like it's a real sort of thing <laughs> that she's very into. And she's been in a lot of big high-profile adaptations, right? Big Little right. Lies most recently, probably. Yep, 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 yep. So it's interesting that she has really – she's really leaning on bookishness as a brand in a way that we haven't seen probably since the Oprah Book Club days, right? Uh, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. And like Oprah's Book Club, <laughs> mm -hmm. Reese's Book Club gets a lot of controversy, right? Because mm – -hmm. These are star-making choices. Like, yes. if you become a book club pick for Reese Witherspoon and you're not, you know, a full-time writer, mm -hmm. you can become one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? like, like you're going to be immediately catapulted onto the top of bestseller lists. Yeah, there's a huge amount of juice behind her choices. And so just like Oprah, when there's a misstep or a perceived misstep, right? I'm thinking of like the Million Little Pieces controversy yeah. from back oh, in the day. Mm-hmm. There's going to be sort of blowback, a controversy, blowback, right? Yeah, equal to the equal to the weight that your pick demonstrates. So, I think we need to think about that and like how celebrity functions around book culture and stuff as part of this. Um, yeah. I think what Victoria is referring to specifically here, though, is that like Reese's Book Club has included things like where the crawdads sing, right. which may or may not be a novel that's implicated in an actual murder. <laughs> for example um lots of books by cis white women mm -hmm. 
it's a it's a particular type of book that does very well in publishing sort of generally, right? Right. It's the white ladies who read book club. Exactly. Yes. And that doesn't mean the picks are exclusively picks by white ladies. Celeste Ng has been one of the mm, choices. You right, know, right. There's, there have been other authors who have been celebrated by Reese Witherspoon. I don't want to, you know, um, I don't want We're not lambasting her choices. We're more making an observation that she's picking books that probably favor a certain type of audience. And yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we as white people sometimes struggle with is that we want to do well and we try to pick things that are sort of outside of our occasionally narrow lane. But it means that the likelihood of us making a misstep or maybe even gently eating our own feet is a little bit higher. <laughs> Can I read you Vox's description of the book club? Because I think it's absolutely perfect. Okay, sure. Like Oprah before her, Witherspoon's picks are always broadly appealing, and they tend to walk the line between literary and commercial. They're the kind of books that are well-written, but not too esoteric, fun mm. to read, but not so trashy that you might feel guilty about spending time with them. Uh -oh. They're long enough to be immersive, but they're not doorstops. Publishers <laughs> tend to describe these as book club books because they feel designed to be read by smart, busy people who want to talk about a good book over a shared plate of hors d'oeuvres and don't want reading to feel like a chore. How dare you, Vox? <laughs> You didn't need to come after me that way. <laughs> but, you know, and you know what? Uh, Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow is yeah. all Fits of that. those things, right? Perfectly. Yep. Fits that perfectly. Um, so I think that it's – I don't think that Reese Witherspoon's book club does anything sort of worse than existing book clubs. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's a – I don't think it's a more egregious example of book club culture. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, yeah, if you're put off by the idea of a celebrity book club, then you're probably not going to want to pick up the Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow, honestly, because right. it is all of those things that tend to turn off people who are a, a little bit snobby about the celebrity book club situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other interesting piece that we haven't touched on is that a lot of those other books are for an older audience, yes. right? Whereas I would firmly say that A Cuban Girl's Guide is firmly a YA text. So I think in some circles that could be seen as almost a double negative because lo and behold, Brenna, we're in what, year five of doing this podcast? <laughs> the number of people who still have misunderstandings about what constitutes YA or why would you as an adult read a YA book? Are you a child? Like, I yeah. still contend with this kind of stuff. And I guess I would fear that the sort of double whammy of people maybe not liking Reese Witherspoon or not valuing her picks might then also say, well, look, she picks YA books. Yeah. Well, so since um, I think since 2020, she's actually run two parallel book clubs. So uh, she has every month she has a Reese's book club pick and then a Reese's YA pick. Ooh. Yeah. And one of the things that I find very interesting about that choice um, is that, you know, she clearly understands that there's a market for these books. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I actually think she's more careful about including diversity in the YA. I should say she, like it's not a team of people, for God's sake. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet she maybe even touches the cover of some of these books. But yes, it's her team. Um, they, the team seems to be much more aware of picking uh, diverse picks at the YA club level <laughs> okay. than they are for the adult club, which, you know, I don't know that I have a, I don't know that I have anything intelligent to say about that, but I think it's an interesting observation. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's also easier to be plugged into the different kinds of YA authors because to a certain extent, it is almost sounds weird it feels like a slightly more limited world right like you know who some of the heavy hitters are you know who some of the up-and-comers are and you know if you want to dabble outside of that then it becomes a little bit more complicated the bench gets a little bit deeper i do think that if you're a book club and you're looking to straddle that line between the literary and the popular, mm-hmm. there's a lot more diversity in that space in YA than For there sure. is in yeah. Litfic, which Litfic is still very, very white dominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the thing that I appreciate the most about Victoria's question is that it made me stop and think because my immediate reaction was, it's got to be good, right? Because all of a sudden, you're going to have so many more eyes on your book, like for better or worse, all of a sudden, yeah, as you said, like, maybe you went from being a part time author who has to work another job to becoming a full time author. And how could that not be a good thing? How could it not be a good thing to shine a light on a woman of color writer? So I'll confess my first thought was this can only be good. And it wasn't until I actually had to read through it and think, well, what are some of the negative pieces of this? And I really appreciated having the opportunity to check myself and think about, well, why did you think good right off the top? Mm. Yeah, that is an interesting point, Joe, because I didn't even, I don't even think I saw the book club sticker. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's so much clutter. This is the other piece I was thinking about. There's so much clutter on the covers of like best-selling books now. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's just so many metal stickers, like yep. all these. And it just, there was once a time in my life where I really attended to those things. And now I think they're just so much visual noise. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's like, yeah. these are meant to connote, oh, this is worth your time. It's worth your energy. It's celebrated and recognized. And instead, you're just like, Ugh, busy, visually unappealing. <laughs> Get it out of my eyeballs. It's true. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, we kind of like what we would probably say in this book right you eat with your eyes but i think you also do read with your eyes oh my gosh that is the dumbest thing i've ever said but (laughs) thinking about covers right thinking about covers brett is never gonna let this go (laughs) uh in my defense you can also read with your ears because there is such a thing as an audiobook there is there is you can read with your fingers if you read braille but i don't i just want to say that i don't think you're in the minority joe being a person who reads with their eyes oh see here i thought you were going to be generous and say you're not the only person who gets (laughs) awestruck by covers but thank you brenna how nice of you actually i am very guilty of judging books by their covers especially for you know what we should do a mini-sode one day on like good and bad YA covers. Oh god, some of them are so bad. And there have some been books so where I've just bad. been like, I absolutely cannot, I cannot carry this book around. No. Yeah, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to be seen with this book. I will get the ebook. Literally anything with a vampire, by the way. Work on your covers, vampire writer people. <laughs> I have a funny story to tell you sometime about uh the YA section in the Australian library when I lived down under. There was literally a supernatural romance section for teens, and it was all just like it might as well have been one book multiplied by about a hundred because they all looked exactly the same. Which I get it. I mean, hey, if you confuse this book for Twilight and pick it up and read it and or buy it, then we did our job. Um, Joe, before we end this mailbag, I also mm-hmm. want to note that Victoria asks us what our favorite tea is. 
Oh, okay. I'm going to go first because my answer is probably uncomplicated. Okay. I will confess that I have not found my forever tea. I've never found the one. (laughs) I'm not a particularly avid tea drinker, but I do love a lemon and ginger. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a very soothing choice. Mm -hmm. I found my forever tea and then it was discontinued and I have never found a replacement for it yet. So there used to be this tea from David's Tea called mm-hmm. Read My Lips. And <laughs> Devlin would always buy me a big bag of it when I was marking. It was like my marking tea. So it was okay. a black tea, but it had like these little um, tiny cinnamon lips in it. Mm. And so – and tiny, tiny, tiny chocolate chips. So it was like cinnamony <laughs> and chocolatey black tea. It oh, was wow. amazing. And I guess I'm the only person who thought that because they discontinued it. Well, David's tea has been struggling with, you know, going under for a number of years, so that might have contributed to it as well. They have. It's really inconvenient. But what I liked about (laughs) it is that one of my problems with David's tea lately is that they started adding stevia to all their teas. Oh, gross. I know. And I always feel like I'm – I feel like I am the last person speaking truth to power here when I say that stevia is gross, people. Yeah. It's gross. No, it's the devil. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. tastes awful. So yeah, I have not found my replacement for that tea. So if anybody listening knows of like a cinnamony, maybe a little Mm. bit minty black tea with chocolate Mm. in it that hasn't been adulterated with stevia, please write in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the the reach of this podcast is now like expanding (laughs) dramatically. We're looking for tea recommendations as well as your mailbag questions, folks. And if you do want to let me know what that magic tea is, you can find us on Twitter. We're at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where can they find you? Uh, I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. And if you have something longer than telling me where to buy my ideal tea, you could always email us. That's best for mailbag, hkhspod at gmail.com. Yeah, and I did just want to congratulate folks because we are actually starting to receive a couple of emails. So if you didn't hear your question answered this week, rest assured we are collecting them. We are reading them. Keep them coming, folks. It's actually so exciting that we had more than one to choose from today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> 